They say uh, about the book of Revelation that it is best understood by children. And I think that makes a lot of sense. As adults, I think we try to get caught up in trying to figure out and understand the logical progression of a book like the book of Revelation. We want to categorize what we see in the book into very kind of neat and theological categories. But the book of Revelation is best understood with imagination. It, after all, is the the genre of imaginative poetry. And in some ways, our kids have that sense of imagination still to them. So we're going to learn from them tonight as we look at this passage. We're even going to incorporate uh, the kid's story into our sermon tonight. Our passage is from uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God And the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I, will have, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write there for what the things that you have seen." those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's Word. Uh, If you've been with us the past couple weeks, you know that we've been looking at uh, dreams during the Advent season. We've seen uh, Jacob's Advent dream, we looked at Joseph's dream, Daniel's dream, and another Joseph's dream, and all of them were Advent dreams. They were looking forward to the first Advent or the first coming of Jesus. Well, the book of Revelation looks forward to another Advent, and it's not the first coming of Jesus that it looks forward to, but the second coming of Jesus, and it tells us a little bit about what that second coming is going to look like. John, who is the the author of Revelation, who has this dream, is a very old man at this point in his life. And the scriptures tell us that he was marooned or exiled on the island of Patmos because of his faith. 
He was an old man, but he was still too dangerous to mix it up with the general public. And Patmos was a a penal settlement on the west coast of Asia Minor. And many people believe it was no more than 10 miles wide and and five miles long. And when John was on Patmos, he dreamt this very powerful dream of the second coming of Jesus. And this is how the story went. John was one of Jesus' helpers. He was old now and living on an island, which might sound nice, except it was a prison. The leaders put him there to stop him from talking about Jesus. But I'm sure you don't think a little thing like being in a cell in a prison on an island in the middle of an ocean could stop God's plan, do you? One morning, Jesus appeared right there in John's cell. Jesus' eyes were bright, shining like the sun. I'm going to show you a secret, John, Jesus said, about when I come back. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Write down what you see so God's children can read it and wait with happy excitement. Then Jesus gave John a beautiful dream, except John was wide awake and what he saw was real and one day it would all come true. I see a throne, and on the throne is a king, and the king is Jesus. All around the throne, people are bowing down. They are giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls, and everyone bursts out singing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died so we don't have to, our rescuer. All honor and glory forever and ever. And every creature everywhere in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea joins in. And then from all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And I see Satan, God's horrible enemy, thrown down, defeated. The Bible passage we read uh, in verse 17 tells us that when John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. And yet God himself reaches out with his right hand and puts it on John's shoulder and says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. What this dream does is it, it powerfully reminds us That Jesus is the first and the last, or in the Greek alphabet used later in this dream, the Alpha and the Omega. Now on New Year's Eve, we all become acutely mindful of time. We think intentionally about it every year around this time. And can you believe that it's almost 2017 when I thought about that, that this morning, I said 2017 in my mind, and I imagined some science fiction movie in the future about some time way far in advance ahead of us. I can't believe that it is already 2017. One songwriter said this, said, Time is a train, makes future the past, leaves you standing in the station, your face pressed up against the glass. You see, We, as God's creation, are bound by time. And the older I get, the faster time just seems to go. And it is one commodity that is bound. We can't buy more of it. We can't earn more of it. 
or we can't deal our way into more time. But God is not like us. He is not bound by time like you and I are. He stands above time. And also on New Year's Eve, we tend to think intentionally about the past and about the future. We look back on the past year. We think about what went well and what didn't go well in the past year. And we look forward to hopes and dreams that live in the the potentiality of the new year that stands in front of us. We both look backwards and look forwards. But John's eyes in this passage are not on himself at this moment. Instead, they are on Jesus, who is the first and is the last. Reminds us that God is eternally present, standing before the beginning of time, and that God will exist into eternity in the future. And what that reminds us is that all of it, at the end of the day, is all about him. All of reality centers around Jesus Christ. He is the first and he is the last, and that means that everything in between is necessarily all about him. All of human history orients itself around the person of Jesus Christ. Obviously, John, in this moment, had to feel very small as a result of his dream. After all, John was reaching the end of his ministry. He was reaching the end of his life. And you see, this dream does something very unique in John's heart. And it does something unique in our hearts as well, because it gives us a picture of the end. And what it does is it shows us that knowing the end makes a difference in the now. The first thing it reminds us is just how finite our lives are. James compares our life to a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm 103 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Psalm 144 says, Man is like a breath. His days are passing like a shadow. And this is why David prayed to God that God would teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, whenever we think about the the frailty and the fleeting nature of life, it can cause us to despair. In fact, if all we live for is this life, then it most certainly will cause us to despair. Or it can cause us to look forward with hope. Because what John caught was a vision, a glimpse of what waited him on the other side. And it was so amazing that he could only use poetry in order to describe what he saw. You know, the Bible doesn't talk much about heaven. But when it does, it tells us that our minds and our imaginations cannot even grasp its greatness. 
Take the greatest thing that your mind can imagine and multiply that to the 10th or even the infinite degree. And that is what awaits those who are in Christ. You see, knowing the end makes a difference in the now. But that isn't all that John saw. He also saw a picture of the end of all things as well. I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful, walls of topaz, jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that never locked shut. Where is the sun? Where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And the deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, Look, I am making everything new. It was hard to squeeze all John saw into words and fit it onto a page and cram it into a book. All the words on all the pages of all the books in all the world would never be enough. I am the beginning, Jesus said, and the ending. One day John knew heaven would come down and mend God's broken world and make it our true perfect home once again. And he knew in some mysterious way that would be hard to explain, that everything was going to be more wonderful for once having been so sad. And he knew then that the ending of the story was going to be so great it would make all the sadness and tears and everything seem just like just a shadow that is chased away by the morning sun. I'm on my way, said Jesus. I'll be there soon. John came to the end of his book, but he didn't write the end. But of course, that's how stories finish. And this one's not over yet. So instead, he wrote, Come quickly, Jesus, which perhaps is really just another way of saying to be continued. Friends, not only will the end of our physical lives be, graded, be greeted with, with bliss and with joy beyond all compare, but the end of all things will be far greater than our minds can even imagine. By comparison, it will be as if this life were a shadow chased away by the morning sun. You see, New Year's Eve is a time for planning, for making resolutions, for doing what we can to live a happier and a healthier life. Many of those things are good and they're wonderful and they deserve our attention and our concern, of course. But friends, if we're honest, we must admit that most of our lives are oriented to this world and to this reality. But knowing the end ought to make a difference in the now. Do you work so hard to get out of this life what will only be found in the next? 
are our lives oriented around making this life the most pain-free, the most comfortable, the most satisfying, or are we looking ahead to the satisfaction of heaven? Do we avoid taking risks for God's kingdom because we are so consumed with building our kingdoms here and now? Are we busying ourselves with sucking out of this life what can only be found in the next? Eugene Peterson said, John is not trying to get us to think more accurately or to train us into better behavior, but to get us to believe more recklessly, to behave more playfully. The faith recklessness and hope playfulness of children entering into the kingdom of God. Imagine for a moment in 2017 that you magically hit the lottery and all the funds that come from the lottery would be guaranteed to you for the rest of your life. You would never again have to worry about money. Now, do you think that that would make you less playful and more conservative in your life? Of course it wouldn't. You would live life with a greater abandon. Well, friends, something far greater than winning the lottery awaits us. If you are in Christ, then you have been adopted and all of it is yours. Knowing the end ought to make us believe more recklessly and to hope more playfully. So as you look backward and forward at year's end, may the end make a difference in the now. Let's pray.